This is Church of the Resurrection in Wheaton, Illinois. Actually, I'm going to need to start from back here because it was in a location right about here where I'm heading right now that Church of the Resurrection had a kind of simian moment. Watch out, Kim, I'm coming your way. It's right about here that nearly 10 years ago, November 1st, All Saints Day, 2010, I had a personal Simeon moment, Catherine and I. Church of Resurrection had a kind of Simeon moment where after 20 years of waiting for a church space, a place that the Lord would bring us where we could lift up the name of Jesus week after week. After 20 years of waiting, 20 years of high schools and Edmund Chapel at Wheaton College, dozens of churches literally wherein I celebrated weddings and, and ministered in funerals, I stood right about here. It didn't look like this. This was the floor of a manufacturing plant right here. I remember there being a leak right about there. I watched it drip on the floor. You could hear it and see it. Somebody had left a random metal folding chair right about there, just right in the middle of the floor, just sitting there. And yet we knew this is what we've been waiting for. So you're waiting, whatever it is that you're waiting for. I want to start with a testimony of resurrection that your waiting does come to an end. And I want to say that you're waiting until our Lord himself returns to this earth to establish his kingdom, which is what we believe the Bible teaches. Until then, your waiting won't really come to an end. I mean, that was 2010, and that was exciting. I didn't know I had to wait two more years before we'd actually be in this church worshiping the Lord in the winter of 2012. I didn't know we'd wait six more years before we'd see the great doors that were commissioned right at the beginning of the building process. What are you waiting for? It will help you as I'm teaching from the Bible this morning to actually kind of capture for a moment what is it that right now you're waiting for specifically. I'll kind of hold that as we look at the Bible. I'm going to teach this morning, how do we wait according to the Scriptures? Some of you college seniors, you're getting your applications off. Many of them are already there and turned in, so you're waiting to find out where you've been accepted for school. Some of you are in a job search. Some of you, many years. You're waiting for what that vocation or that employment is going to be. Some of you, you're, you're just waiting for a needed relationship. It might be that, that roommate you can share your life with. It might be that you're waiting for a husband or a wife. It might be you're just waiting for a good friend. You need a good friend, and you're waiting for that. Some of you I know are waiting for physical health, 
the medical help that may be a part of that, the supernatural ministry of Jesus. We're all waiting. That's probably one of the most central descriptors of what it means to be a follower of Jesus is to learn and to live as a waiting people. We have our individual things that we're waiting on in the Lord for our parents or our children or our family we love, whatever it might be. And we have a corporate lived body reality, the body, the church, as we wait for our Lord Jesus to return. We're all waiting. So we need to learn how to wait according to the Scriptures. And attendant to that, we need to learn to not hate waiting. We'll get to that in just a moment. But a lot of us hate it. And that's one thing I just want you to hear from me this morning. I hope I can teach you from the Bible how to not hate waiting. So let's look at uh, Luke chapter 2. You can grab your church Bible or your Bible with this with you. And look at Luke chapter 2. We're going to look at Simeon. Here is one that we can learn to imitate according to the Scriptures as to how he waited. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel. He was waiting for the rescue of Israel, for the fulfilling of Israel. And all that God had promised Israel over all the centuries, Simeon in his sort of person and vocation and calling captured that reality of the people of Israel waiting for consolation, for, for comfort for the setting in of who the nation was to be and the plan of God and a full setting in, a, a full consolation. He was waiting for that. Indeed, that's what made up his waiting world. We all have a waiting world. We all have those things that we're waiting upon. I hope you already have that engaged in your imagination and thinking. He even wrote it in your bulletin. He's waiting for that. What did he do? Well, here's one thing we learned from Simeon. He waits in the power of the Spirit more than the power of his own plan. He waits in the power of the Spirit. We'll see this mentioned three different times. More than in the power of his own plan. Verses 22 to 25. Second, he waits with a picture of God. He, God fills out his imagination as he's waiting. For us, the application would be to wait with a picture of Jesus more than a picture of our preferred outcome. Our waiting world is often populated by one or two things or both. A plan, particularly if you're wired that way, or a preferred outcome that's imaginative. This is what it's going to look like when my waiting is finally over. That's verses 26 to 34. Two quick notes before we jump into this outline. First of all, my guess is many of you woke up this morning and you thought to yourself, 325 shopping days till Christmas. <laughs> right? I mean, February 2nd. Some of you more base creatures thought it's Groundhog Day or whatever that thing is. I don't know. Like, come on. I also thought it's my son's birthday, my number six. But actually, more important than 325 shopping days till Christmas, it's right to think about Christmas. What's more important is it's the presentation of our Lord, which according to the Scriptures, you would present your oldest son 40 days after their birth. And we're 40 days right now from Christmas Day. So Simeon is given to us in the greater story, the presentation of our Lord. Also, and I, I won't have time to do much explication here, this really is a, a three-part sermon series, this section of Scripture. It's one of the great hymns, one of the great poems 
of the church, of the scriptures, called the Nunc Dimittis. Lord, let your servant now depart in peace. Simeon's song that has been prayed by the church at the end of the day for centuries. Some of you have a habit of praying what's called Compline or nighttime prayer, and that, that prayer has become a part of your life. If it hasn't, I, I would encourage you to, to look at Compline in our prayer book. But we're not going to have time to explicate that like I would like to. We're going to work mostly on the first part of this scripture. Let's look at Simeon. Actually, starting with verses 25. We'll go back to verses 22 to 24, but go to verse 25 with me first. In other words, we get an introduction to Simeon. Now, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. This man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. We see that Simeon is in the Spirit. He's living by the presence and the power and the reality of the Holy Spirit, given to us in verse 25. Then look again at verse 26. It had been revealed to Simeon by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit had spoken to him. The Holy Spirit had given him a vision that he would not see death before he had seen the Messiah, the Lord's Messiah, he who would be the consolation of Israel. The consolation of Israel wasn't an abstracted fact. It was a concrete hope that God would send his Messiah, his servant, his rescuer. And he was waiting for that by the Holy Spirit. And then, verse 27, he comes in the Spirit, original language, he's propelled by the Spirit into the temple. Very important. We'll get to that too. The temple is very important here. So we see that waiting is a Holy Spirit work. We see that waiting for the things of God in our lives is a supernatural reality. So first of all, your waiting matters. That's why I'm hoping I kind of jar you to realize you're waiting for things. Waiting can become such a part of our lives, we can actually just forget that we're waiting. We can just ignore the fact that we're waiting. So it's important to identify waiting marks our lives. And our lives are often lived, in the, just the reality of our lives are lived often with significant waiting that's occurring. And as I said, not only does it mark our lives, we have to learn not to hate waiting. Come on, I mean, don't you hate waiting? I mean, for serious things especially. I mean, the things that really matter. The things that, depending on what happens for what you're waiting for, will have a significant determination on your life, on the way in which you think your life may turn out. Not to mention the smaller things that we wait for. I mean, my daughter recently visited the Lombard Department of Motor Vehicles, and we literally were praying for her as she went to the DMV in Lombard. We were, we, we, we were, as a family, lifting this up in prayer because of the waiting that can be ahead of you. <laughs> I love Brazilians. You all know that. My wife grew up in Brazil. I've learned a lot from that culture, but it's so different than my own natural way and my own natural culture. Brazilians are always waiting. You think our DMV is bad? The Department of Motor Vehicles in Lombard is the kingdom of God compared to waiting in Brazil. <laughs> the governmental ineptitude and corruption is stunning. You're talking about an all-day wait. I mean, just to get dinner, not only do you go late, much later than we in the Midwest, as in you go to dinner at 9, but once you order, you wait for two hours before the food actually comes out. 
Well, here's, a, here's why Brazilians wait. They've learned to love the wait. At least some of them. Here's what they'll do. And they know they have a day of waiting. They'll get friends to come wait with them. They'll bring a kind of collapsible table and, of course, coffee. And they'll set the table up in the line that they're waiting somewhere to get into a governmental office. Have their friends gather who aren't waiting for anything, just coming along to be with their friends, have coffee and play cards. And they enjoy it. They've actually learned that waiting isn't so bad if you're there with people that you love and you've just accepted the fact that it is part of your life. And it is a part of our Christian following Jesus lives. Look at Simeon. There's a beautiful thing happening in the language here. Um, Look at verse 25 again. So he's waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. Here's something that Luke is likely doing. Consolation of Israel, Holy Spirit, who is called by the Lord Jesus in the Gospel of John a consoler or a comforter or a paraclete. He's waiting for the consolation of Israel with the consolation of the consoler. He's waiting for one thing to happen. He's going that direction. But he's actually in the power of the Spirit as he waits for the ministry of the Holy Spirit, the consolation of Israel. That he's learned not to hate the waiting, but to actually realize that the waiting is a work of God in his life and it's a supernatural work. If you will wait supernaturally, you'll call others to wait supernaturally with you. You'll trust that God is doing something that is more powerful than your current world. Your waiting world can become small. Your waiting world can become frustrated. Your waiting world can become angry. Or your waiting world can be filled and injected with the glory of God and the supernatural power. I was just talking to a dear friend. He was waiting on a breakthrough in his own life. He was waiting for maturation. He was aware of sins and shortcomings, and they were holding him back. They were affecting the larger parts of his life, his key relationships, his work. He was waiting on God, and he was in prayer. He was in worship. He was in the Word one day. And he got a picture when he was praying, and it was an obscure picture for him. They had all these garbage bags, like lots of garbage bags, and he was taking them to a location that was significant for him in his life. And that was it. It's the kind of image you share with somebody. They don't know what to do with it. You don't know what to do with it. You just shrug your shoulders. I don't know what that was. Until a week and a half later, he's having lunch with a dear friend who brings him a book. He says, hey, I thought about this book. I read it myself. And in this book, I thought about what you're going through. There's an exercise, he says, in this book where the writer encourages you to imagine having a whole bunch of trash bags. And you take them to a location significant for you and you drop them off. And my friend in his waiting moment realized, God's breaking in. This friend knew nothing about the image I had in prayer. Here's a book that actually leads us into this image. He actually reached out to the author. The author said, I would love to meet with you and met with him and led him through that very prayer, which met him in his waiting, where he met the Lord and received a maturation, a healing. There's a supernatural thing happening in our waiting. It's a Holy Spirit work. But our plan for what can happen, let me be really clear. The Bible advocates planning. Many of you are gifted to plan. That's, it's good to plan ahead. Jesus talks about, about builders planning ahead. He uses metaphors like that. But it's when our plans take over the power of the Spirit in our waiting world. And all of a sudden, our waiting is about the plan that we were going to enact and the steps that we're going to take to get that thing that we need to happen, happen. 
Doesn't mean we don't act as we're waiting. It means we be very active as the Holy Spirit guides us. The Holy Spirit propels Simeon into the temple that day. We make decisions while we're waiting. As a matter of fact, making decisions while you're waiting is key to waiting. Now get on to, get on to that in just a minute. But we see in Simeon that the power of the Spirit was greater in his waiting world than whatever plan he might have had. Now let's be clear. There were those who were planning for the consolation of Israel. They were taking the consolation of Israel into their own hands. There was a whole movement of the zealots. They were seeking to somehow either follow one who called himself a Messiah, or there were a tamer version of that who were seeking to fulfill a plan to see this happen. But Simeon, three different times we're told, is waiting in the Spirit. This is important because we're so driven by our plan, we could miss the very place Jesus wants to take us to in his spirit. If the plan is so important to us, we could miss the very place that the Lord wants to take us to in his spirit. Was anyone planning on a young Jewish woman named Miriam, Mary, having an infant born to her who would be the second person of the Trinity? Did anybody have that in their plan? It had been prophesied, but it had been ignored in the prophecies. No. So how about we use that concrete example to say our plans, if they lead us alone, are idiotic, they're foolish, they're futile compared to what God is doing in the power of the Spirit. That when we're caught in a waiting situation, we're caught in a world much bigger than our little waiting world itself. We're caught in a situation much more important than just what we think is so important to us. That God is doing a great thing through us and through others. And we want to be there waiting, depending on the power of the Spirit. Waiting in the Spirit is not only what may seem rather vague or intuitive. It has concrete realities. Indeed, we see that in waiting in the Spirit, there were two decisions that were made in this story that were very important. One was Joseph and Mary's decision to obey the Word of God. The waiting in the Spirit involves obedience. Living by the Word of God. It's very concrete in that way, as a matter of fact. We see that we see Joseph and Mary, they're obeying the word of God. And then we see Simeon, who's obeying a life of worship, who's living in a life of worship. Let's look at Joseph and Mary first. Now at verse 22. There had time had come for their purification. So there's two actually things happening. There's the purification, and there's also the presentation of an oldest male. The scriptures teach us according to the law, verse 22, verse 23, as it is written in the law of the Lord, verse 24, as what is said in the law of the Lord. What's being emphasized here is that Joseph and Mary, they lived by the word of God, which is they lived by the law, the words of God, the gift of God. They lived according to that. They're under the power of the word of God. They're making decisions based on the word of God, and they don't know that God is directing them towards Simeon. Simeon, on the other hand, is waiting in worship. He's in Jerusalem. He's in the temple, the center of all that is, the place where God has said, my spirit will meet in power humanity. This will be the place where sacrifices are made. This will be the place where offerings are made. This is where heaven and earth will meet, here in Jerusalem, in the temple. The life of worship is a life of abandonment to the purposes and the ways of God, and Simeon is living that. You want to wait according to the word? Wait obeying the word. Wait obeying in the life of abandonment to God. 
We see word and worship. And here's what we see. They're living according to the word. Some living according to worship. And now God providentially brings them together on the 40th day after the birth of Jesus, the Messiah. Decisions being made here. Should we really go up to the purification? Does it really matter? Is it just an empty ritual? Well, the scriptures teach it. We should go. We should go to Jerusalem. It may be dangerous. No, we should go. We should go to Jerusalem. Do I really just keep living in worship and abandoning myself to God? Simeon might have thought. Is he really going to meet me here? I've waited so long. Is the consolation of Israel just an abstracted thought that I've banked on foolishly? No. No, I'm going to go in the power of the Spirit. Together, God providentially, using their decisions, brings them together. When you're waiting, your decisions matter. Now, this isn't to say that God isn't going to accomplish his plan. Oh, he will accomplish his plan. <laughs> Praise the Lord. But he invites us to participate in his plan. And often an invitation is a waiting invitation. So we need to be clear. You can opt out of waiting. You have that choice. So when we're in a waiting time, we need wise decision-making by the word and worship. God uses the obedience of Joseph, Mary, and Simon to bring them together at the appointed time. Okay, now we come to Simeon encountering Jesus. Here we see that he, he's waiting, and the picture of God, the presence of God, the reality of God had inhabited his waiting world more than the picture of a preferred outcome. Verse 28 is really the culmination of this amazing short story, divine word of God. And he came in the spirit, verse 27, into the temple, the house of God. And when the parents, Joseph and Mary, brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of law, now verse 28, he took him up in his arms. How did he do that? How was he ready? How did he not say, a 40-day-old baby? The text clearly implies he, he, he hadn't heard from the shepherds. That, you know, obviously, there's not the kind of communication network that there is today. So he was ready. When the waiting had come, he was ready. It must be that the presence of the reality of God in his worship had filled out his waiting world in such a way that he didn't have a preferred outcome, that had to match everything and all the details he had laid out in his plan. He had God. He was with God in the consolation. He was waiting for God. And the answer to his waiting was God literally God. And the answer to our waiting as believers in God and followers of Jesus, the answer to your waiting is ultimately God. 
That's what you're waiting for. And in a way, there's the gift of going on ahead and knowing the answer. It is the Lord. You are waiting for the Lord, in whom the Bible teaches the answer is always yes and not no. Many of us, when we're waiting, we're waiting for some kind of a yes. Yes to the closing of that house. Yes to that particular school. Yes to that salary. Whatever it might be, we're waiting for a particular yes. But what happens here in Simeon is we see that he has a very specific yes, God, but a yes that could completely surprise and baffle everyone else. Wow, what an ability to be focused and utterly ready and nimble at the exact same time. As a matter of fact, this God that he's receiving, that he's taking into his arms, Jesus, will be called a sign of opposition. There later in, later in this passage, or another translation, a sign of contradiction. This infant Jesus, this second person of the Trinity, will so radically overturn everything, everyone's expectations, everyone's waiting, everyone's dreams, it'll all be so incredibly cataclysmic that unless you had God on your heart, then God in your mind and God in the center of your waiting world, you'll oppose him. And they would. How humbling this is, right? In our waiting. Doesn't this make you want to just like, okay, what preferred outcome is animating my world right now? Ha ha, surrender, get rid of it, get, yeah, yeah, no. No. I am not going to live by this preferred outcome. I am not going to try and control what and who and how I'm waiting for. Oh, no, I'm going to wait in the power of the Spirit. I'm going to wait for God. I'm actually going to believe this isn't a naive fairy tale, but that in God all things are yes. Now, we waited a long time for this reality. And I need to tell you that a manufacturing plant was not my preferred outcome. Right? I've been an Anglican a long time. I love art. I, I've actually come to love this architecture, but this wasn't architecture I was thinking. I actually thought that somewhere, somehow, there was a beautiful Gothic revival building in Wheaton that could see the thousand. I mean, I literally, that animated my thinking. It was irrational, but it's what I wanted. So my preferred outcome was, oh, Lord, I can't wait until that beautiful Gothic revival building for a thousand comes along our way. It's so much so that actually when an opportunity came to buy 20 acres, I thought, great, this is where we'll build our brand new, I mean, forget the fact that it's a $40 million price tag, we'll build our brand new Gothic revival building on this 20 acres of land. And we were going after 20 acres of land. It was several miles from here. We were trying to get a place to build a building. And as it happens when you're waiting, one decision after another comes, and we realized there was a key decision, not our decision, that the county board of DuPage County would vote to zone that land for a church or not. Loss of opposition from neighbors. Even those who told us they were believers. Sorry, they said, but we don't want a church there near our neighborhood. We started working with the county board. We were like deputy whips in Congress running around counting the nose of the county board. Would they vote yes? Would they vote no? We, many of us just became absolutely just focused on how do we get the yes? How do we get the yes? The night before the county board vote, we're told by an insider that we've got one vote in our favor. We're going to get the majority. We're going to win the next day. And I am not thinking of anything except yes, yes, yes. The vote is going to be yes. It's going to happen. The morning of the vote, our attorney who's representing our case wakes up deathly ill. He can hardly stand up. He's so sick. And there's no one that can replace him. That morning we go in. Again, so-called believers in Jesus who said they were going to vote for us. And all of a sudden something happened. Horse trading. I don't know. We lost the vote soundly. 
and many of us were rocked. Because our preferred outcome was the county board votes yes, and we get the land. That was the preferred outcome. I had no idea that this was in the mind of God. And you have no idea, as you're waiting for whatever you're waiting for, for that child or that loved one or that amazing need that's very real in your life, we really don't know the mind of God. But we know His character. We know He'll meet us. He'll know He'll give us yes in Jesus. So let's surrender our preferred outcomes. Let's, let's actually move them out of our hearts and our minds and our thinking, our plans as quickly as we can. Let's take God, the picture of Jesus before us. It might even be that you need a just a, a beautiful representation of the Lord's face, perhaps in an icon or perhaps in a, a more realistic rendering of just who Jesus is, his face. We, we can know his face. It's appropriate to, to have artistic renderings of the Lord's face. I have one right by my desk that one of you artists did. You may just need that to look upon that often in your season of waiting. The Holy Spirit will console you and what is often heartbreaking waiting as you are willing to live supernaturally and by his power. The picture of Jesus, who is our preferred outcome, will prepare you. Whatever greater work God is doing in your life. Simeon was named by the church the God Receiver. That's his name, the God Receiver. May we be God receivers. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thanks for listening. Our vision at Church of the Resurrection is to equip everyone for transformation. As part of that vision, we love to share dynamic teaching, original music, and stories of transformation. For more of what you heard today, check out the rest of our podcast. To learn more about our ministry, visit churchres.org.